You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. Good morning, everybody. Did you say good morning, Alex? I couldn't see your mouth. Okay. All right. Hey, uh, Acts chapter 2. If you have a Bible, let's go there. Acts 2. If you uh, are here today and you're a guest, uh, maybe there are some of you uh, would love for you to fill out a Connect card. Uh, we have those kind of in the back seat right there in front of you. Fill out some information about you and your family and leave it in a seat. Um, if you're online watching, you can click on the Connect link, drop in the comment section, fill out information about your family. And that'll just be a way of us knowing you're here and seek to serve you to the best of our ability. Um, we are going to be in Acts 2 today as we continue our series that we have entitled Ghost Stories. And I just want to remind you again while we are in this series, um, <clears throat> as Robert said, this is a difficult season. Um, we have, I know at least in our, our church right now, probably uh, 10 to 12 people who are COVID positive, um, uh, just that they you know, got it from different places. I know we have more than that who are quarantined. Um, on top of that, political tension continues to climb. You also have the normal pressures of life, right, like at work or in your home. And then on top of that, we've got these three enemies that the Bible talks about, the world, the flesh, and the devil that we have to fight against often. And what I was just reminded of uh, this morning as I was talking with my wife, as, as we were watching like the wind just like howl outside, and, and I was like, man, like we so need to see the Spirit of God blow on our church like that. Um, more than you guys need entertainment, like just good preaching or good programs or good music, and that's all fantastic. Like, what we all need is to be formed into resilient disciples of Jesus. Um, and a resilient disciple of Jesus who is someone who, who not just can survive, but thrive, no matter what harsh conditions you find yourself in. And, and, and we really believe that if we're going to be resilient disciples of Jesus, we need to learn how to live a spirit-empowered life. And if you're anything like me, very few of us, we, uh, very few of you in here know how to do that, just like me. And so the series has been, hey, let's just take some time to focus on who the Holy Spirit is and what he wants to do in us and through us in order to help conform us more into the image of Jesus, into these men and women um, who really are kind of like this oak tree. I saw my front yard that as the wind's blowing, like his stuff is literally like flying down our street, like chairs and all of that. This oak tree is just like planted right in my front yard and it's bending, but it's not breaking. And I'm just like, man, like that's what I want for each of you. That's what I want for us. I want us to be a church, as crazy as it sounds, that actually can suffer and even one day die well, because that's coming for all of us. And that will not happen if we are not resilient. And so that's really the heart behind a series on the Holy Spirit. And with that in mind, today as we continue forward, um, we're going to talk about, again, what has traditionally been known as the gifts of the Spirit. Last week we talked about prophecy. This week we're going to talk about a topic that is not only theologically complex, but it's culturally bizarre and it's emotionally loaded for a lot of people. And that is the topic of speaking in tongues. And before you try to walk out and be like, all right, like I'm done, you know, or you go to the next church service online or whatever, like hear me out, take a deep breath. My only goal this morning is to dive into the scriptures and see what God has to say about this. Does that make sense? All right, awesome. So with that in mind, let's go to Acts chapter 2. Um, I'm going to take a drink of water real fast, and then we're going to go read verses 1 through verse 4. 
Acts 2, verse 1 through verse 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly the sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. How many of them were filled with the Spirit? All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, if you've been reading the story of God up to this point and you'd never read the Bible before, this moment would really jump out at you because up to this point, the Holy Spirit had only fallen on a select few of people. Moses, for example, people like Elijah or Jeremiah or Judge Deborah, right? The Spirit would come and go and come and go on special and unique people. But here, for the first time ever, we see the Holy Spirit ever in history falling on all followers of Jesus. And as a result, what happens when they receive the Spirit? Again, in verse 4, look at it. What happens? They speak in tongues, okay? Now, this is not just a one-off. Go with me to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 Um, and while you're turning, let me ask you this. How many of you in here are not Jewish? Raise your hand if you're not a Jew. Okay, I think that's pretty much everybody. Maybe it was everyone. The reason I ask you that is because what happens here in Acts 10 um, is like what we're about to see happen. Like that's the reason you're here. That's the reason you receive the gospel if you're not a Jew. Like this is the gospel moving to a non-Jewish people. So it's a very important story. Here's what we read in Acts 10, verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, and what words was he speaking? Well, he was talking about how the good news of Jesus and his kingdom is now for all people. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers. Don't you wish people would refer to you as that? Like either you're the circumcised believer or the non-circumcised believer. It's like it'd be kind of awkward in public. Like, oh, this is my friend Jared. He's the circumcised believer. Um... Anyways, um, the circumcised believers, is talking about Jews, by the way, who had come with Peter, um, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, on the non-Jews. Well, how do they know the Holy Spirit was poured out on them? Verse 46, they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Let's read one more. Acts 19, verse 1. Acts chapter 19, verse 1. I love to hear pages of the Bible turning. Uh, digital copies are great. Physical copies are better. That's in the, the book of Second Opinions um, somewhere. So, sorry, Pastor Humor. Uh, Acts 19, verse 1. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. So they were a long way from Jerusalem where this whole thing broke out on the day of Pentecost. There he found some disciples. Now, if you're reading this, you're thinking disciples of Jesus. And if you're thinking that, you'd be wrong because look what happens next. Paul asked them, have you received the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, time out for a second. In our culture, if we want to know if someone is is a Christian, what do we typically ask them? Have you prayed the prayer and asked Jesus into your heart? That is not the language they use in the New Testament. The language they want to know is if you're you're a Christian is, have you received the Holy Spirit? That's always the go-to for the apostles and the New Testament. It's very important. Side note, do with that what you will. Have you received the Holy Spirit? Verse 2. They answered, no, we have not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. So we were out that Sunday. Our kids had traveling soccer. We missed that podcast. So Paul, verse 3, said, okay, well, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. 
He told the people to believe in the one who's coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. That means they went from being John's disciples to Jesus' disciples at this point. Verse 6, when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they did what? They spoke in tongues and they prophesied. So over and over again, right? Here it is again. Like we see the Spirit comes and as the Spirit comes, people speak in tongues. Now, what we learn from these three stories is this. No matter who you are or where you come from, whether you're a Jew or you are not a Jew, whether you're young or old, you are a man or a woman, listen to me carefully, one of the byproducts of receiving the Holy Spirit is that you will speak in tongues. But it's not the byproduct of receiving the Holy Spirit. One of the byproducts of receiving the Spirit is you will speak in tongues, but it's not the byproduct. Okay, And here's what I mean by that. There are 22 stories in the book of Acts where we see disciples become, or we see people become disciples of Jesus. 22 stories. Of those 22 stories, only three of those are stories where after becoming a disciple of Jesus, they begin to speak in tongues. Does that make sense? So 19 other stories, they don't speak in tongues, but in three, they receive the Spirit and they do speak in tongues. So literally, we just read every single text in Acts on speaking in tongues. So congratulations, you're now an expert. When it comes to speaking in tongues from the book of Acts. And what I want you to see is this. Though speaking in tongues does happen, there are times where people are filled with the Spirit and they speak in tongues. There are other times where people are filled with the Spirit and they don't speak in tongues. And so with that said, let me very quickly just address three teachings around tongues that are circling in church culture today that as a church we want to say no to. Okay, Teaching number one that we want to say no to is this. there's a teaching that says that if you don't speak in tongues, you are not filled with the Holy Spirit. Guys, that's just not true. Like according to the scripture, again, like speaking in tongues is a byproduct of receiving the Spirit, but it's not the byproduct. Um, Here's another teaching we want to say no to. Here's a teaching that's out there. If you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. Anybody ever heard that before? Yeah, several of you. Um, that's actually, I know that sounds crazy to some of you, like that's a real teaching. Really, it's on kind of the fringes of this hardcore Pentecostal movement. And, and, and it's this idea that like one way you know if you've truly been saved is you speak in tongues. And guys, again, like that's just absolutely not true according to what we see in the scripture. But on the other end of that spectrum, there are those that will teach this. And this is what else we want to say no to. It's this idea that speaking in tongues is just not for anybody today. Like, this comes from the theological stream called cessationism, which is basically this teaching that all of the gifts of the Spirit, like healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, speaking in tongues, all of that went away whenever we got the New Testament. And so what people will tell you is that now that we have the Bible, we don't need any of the Holy Spirit stuff. Like, that was then, this is now. And here's the thing, though theologically this has been thoroughly debunked on an academic level all over the world, this is still a default setting for many people in the American church today. And again, as pastors, we humbly just say no to that. Um, The best we can tell, like in the New Testament, like that's not what the Bible teaches on tongues. So the question is, okay, well, what does the Bible, what does the New Testament have to say about speaking in tongues? And for that, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I 
I really wish I had like an old school pulpit so I could just put me a bottle of water right here, you know what I'm saying, and like beat on it every now and then. And so it just always feels a little bit awkward when I'm just walking over here to get my water, especially when there's people just watching me do it. So um, 1 Corinthians 14, it's really important that you understand. uh, 1 Corinthians 14 is a letter. It's not meant to be a theological essay. It's not meant to be a textbook. It was a letter written by Paul to a church that he planted in Corinth that he dearly loves. And here's what you have to get about the church in Corinth. They had the exact opposite problem of the crossing church in Paragord. What I mean by that is everybody in the church, or at least almost everybody in Corinth, spoke in tongues, and not just in private, but also in public. Okay, And as a result, what's happening is their Sunday gathering was becoming wild and spasmodic and completely out of control. And the reason I share that is because as we read this, if it seems like Paul's being a little snarky, or if like he's coming down on speaking in tongues, he's not. Like again, like he's just speaking to a church that has the exact opposite problem as we do. Like I'm guessing most of us don't speak in tongues in private, much less in the Sunday gathering. Does that make sense? So like that's what Paul's dealing with here. Now with that background in mind, look with me, 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1. Paul says, follow the way of love. Whatever he says next, it's all about love. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Now, last week we talked about, it's very important you get, the spiritual gifts. When you think of them, you need to realize the spiritual gifts are about the manifestation of the presence of God, not a distribution of presence from God. I'm going to say that again in case you're taking notes. The spiritual gifts are about the manifestation of the presence of God, not a distribution of presence from God, which is the way many of us have heard about them. Um, Here's what I mean by that. According to Jesus, the greatest gift that you can receive and I can receive is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not a blob. He's not like a force, like on Star Wars. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a he. And he's just as much God as God the Father and God the Son. And here's the thing. As we learn how to live in relationship with the Holy Spirit, as we learn how to live aware of and connected to His presence, we will then receive spiritual gifts. And spiritual gifts are not so much like abilities that we yield. They are ministry opportunities that we get invited to step into for the good of others and the glory of God. Does that make sense? Like, so that's what you need to think of when you think of the spiritual gifts. Now, last week, there are a lot of gifts in the, in the Bible. Last week, we looked at prophecy. This week, we're going to look at tongues because that's what Paul really wants to highlight here in 1 Corinthians 14. And so with that said, verse 2, here's what Paul says. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like for every one of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. For the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, but or uh, speaks in tongues unless someone interprets, so that the church may be edified. That word that you see translated as tongues in the NIV, it comes from the Greek word glossa, which is literally where we get our English word glossary from. And this was not at all a weird word in the first century. Because all this word means, get this, get this, the only thing this word means is languages. So anytime you see tongues, which sounds kind of like weird and mysterious, just think other languages. And here is 
five things that we learn in just four short verses about these languages. One, the tongues or these languages that God gives us, they are to God and not to people. They're spoken to God and not to people. So unlike what we see in Acts 2, where the disciples receive these literally human languages, they had not learned, but human languages God gives them for missional purposes, to speak in a way that other people from other countries can understand them, this is different here. Paul here is not talking about a human language spoken to man. He's talking about a heavenly language that is spoken to God. Again, in verse 2, For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. So here's what Sam Storm says in this. Sam Storm is a pastor. He's a scholar, kind of a leading scholar on the gifts of the Spirit. In his commentary on 1 Corinthians 14, he says this. The gift of speaking in tongues that continues throughout church history and is so widespread today is the Spirit-prompted ability to pray and praise God in a heavenly dialect, possibly even an angelic language, that is not related to anything spoken on earth. He goes on to say this, the Holy Spirit personally crafts or creates a special and unique language of prayer and praise that is only understood by the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So again, this is a language spoken to God and not to man. Secondly, this language does not make any sense to the speaker. Again, in the words of Paul in verse 2, no one understands them. So literally, when you begin to speak in tongues, it bypasses your conscious thought. Third, what we learn from this teaching is that the language or tongues edifies the speaker, but it does not edify the church. Verse 4, anyone who speaks in tongues edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. The word that Paul uses here for edifies comes from the construction industry in the first century. And what it literally means is to construct or to build up. And what Paul is saying here is unlike prophecy or the other gifts that are given to you so you can construct or build up another, tongues is for your personal edification. It, it builds you up. This leads to another point. Fourthly, language, languages, and a lot of that, are not as important as prophecy. Quote from verse 5. I would like for every one of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. For the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. So whether you like it or not, in Paul's mind, there's a metric system. Like not all spiritual gifts are created equal. And from the best I can tell, prophecy is probably at the top of the list, and tongues is more towards the bottom. But listen, guys, it's still on the list which means it's important. Now, it's not as important as prophecy, but it's still important. That said, kind of final key takeaway, in Paul's mind, ideally everyone should speak in these languages. Verse 5, and I quote, I would like for every one of you to speak in these languages (laughs) or these tongues. So as weird as this gift may be for some of you, um, Paul says, look, because tongues can edify, because they can build you up, because tongues literally can be given to you by God to turn you into a resilient disciple, which is what we're all after, he says that you should pursue this. I wish all of you, he said, all of you spoke in tongues. Now, with that said, the question is, how do we speak in tongues? And for that, I want to bring Philip Greer up. Just kidding, Philip. Uh, <laughs> so, um, <laughs> I'm just kidding, everybody. Um, 
And how do we speak in tongues? How do we do this? How do we pursue this gift? And before I answer that on a practical level, let's read just a little bit further, verse 6 through verse 12, to kind of lay a stronger foundation for us. So look at me in verse 6. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds such as the pipe or the harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you, since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. Now, I know there's a lot in there, but basically here's what Paul just said. You should not speak in tongues in the Sunday gathering apart from an interpreter. And then he gives us three metaphors to show us why this is so important. And the first one he gives us is music. Um, can you unmute me up there? Yeah, give me. Oh, there we are. I think I'm unmuted. All right, so, <clears throat> so here's the thing with music. I'll try not to break anything, Adam. Um, if you're going to have music, you have to have a key, right? So that's a key of E. All right? You also need to have somewhat of a rhythm. So like... Right? You need to have a little bit of a rhythm. Thank you. I'll take that. Take whatever I can get. And so here's the deal. Well, actually, no, let me do this. Not done yet. I'm gonna play uh little voodoo child for you guys. Just kidding. Um if you don't have um it's not because I couldn't play it, it's just we're in church, you know. So <clears throat> and so if you don't have a, a key and you don't have distinction, what do you have? You're probably going to have to retune that. So, um, You have noise. It's not a blessing to anybody, right? And what Paul is saying is this. When you try to speak in tongues in the public gathering without an interpreter, you end up with a bunch of noise. You end up with people just being like, God, like, what, are you, what are you doing? Stop, please. Does that make sense? That's his first metaphor. Second metaphor is that of a trumpet or a war horn. I think we have a picture of that. Keep in mind, this is in the first century, long before the radio. And so if a general wanted to direct his army on a battlefield, he would blast his trumpet. One blast might mean charge. Another one might mean retreat. Another one might mean to flank left. Another one might mean to flank right. And here's the deal. If you don't know what the charge means, if you don't know what the blast means, if you think a blast means charge and it actually means retreat, what's going to happen to you? You're going to die. Like, something bad's going to happen. And so what Paul's second metaphor is this. He's saying when you try to speak in tongues in public without an interpreter, not only is it annoying, but it's also dangerous. It's actually dangerous. Third metaphor he uses is that of a foreign language. Um, Puneet, good to see you, brother. Can you do this for me? Puneet is from India. This is not planned at all. Can you just say anything, anything at all in your native language? Okay, how many of you felt totally edified and blessed by that? You're like, that was so cool. Thank you so much for that. Anybody? Now, what did you just say? Say it in English. Hello. Hello. That was kind. Thank you. Hello to you too, Panit, right? Like, here's the deal. 
What Paul is saying is this third metaphor. If you're speaking in tongues and no one can interpret it, even if you mean well, hello, it's not a blessing. I don't have a clue what you just said. Does that make sense? So Paul says don't do it unless there is an interpreter. So clearly, listen, here's just my point. Paul is really down on speaking in tongues in the Sunday gathering if you don't have an interpreter, but he's not down on speaking in tongues. Let's keep reading. Verse 13 through verse 18, and then we'll wrap this up. Verse 13. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Huh? Okay, that's really interesting. Because what Paul just said is this. Speaking in tongues is not rational. Which doesn't mean if you speak in tongues, like your eyes roll back in your head and you start convulsing and like foaming at the mouth like some horror film for Jesus. That's not what he's saying. He's just saying that when you speak in tongues, your mind's not in gear. It's in neutral. Like it doesn't make sense to you. So he goes on verse 15, so what shall I do? I'll pray with my spirit, but I'll also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I'll also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving since they do not know what you are saying? Here's what Paul just said. This is very important we get this. According to Paul and his philosophy on the Sunday gathering, do you know what we should do when we come here? We should all show up, not as a consumer, but as a contributor. What Paul is just saying is that when you showed up today, what should not, and I'm not saying this to guilt you or shame you, like we all do this, but he's saying our, our mindset should not be, man, I hope the preacher's really on today. Or I hope the band really rocks it out today. What he's saying is that when we show up here, the reason we get dressed and we fix our hair and we wrestle with kids and we wear these crazy masks, the whole point is so you can come here and try to bless other people. Can you imagine how much different this culture would be if we all showed up saying, like, man, I'm here to bless this other person. Like, God, give me somebody to bless today. Wouldn't it be awesome? It's like we're just outdoing one another with blessings. Like, no, 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 before you give me a word, let me give you a word. Like, I want to bless you, right? Before you bless me, like... Paul is saying, like, that's the goal of the Sunday gathering, and because tongues doesn't really do that apart from an interpreter, again, don't do it. But then I love this next part, because this is like Paul just kind of like throwing a grenade in the middle of, like, this whole talk. In verse 18, he says, By the way, while we're on the topic of tongues, I thank God that I do this more than any of you. Like a little spiritual smack talk. This is the way Paul rolls, man. Just kind of snuck that in there. And what scholars all agree on is what's happening here is the Corinthian church has begun to believe that Paul doesn't speak in tongues because he just doesn't do it in their Sunday gathering like they're doing. So when Paul would show up, when he would go in the town, he would prophesy or he would preach, but he wasn't speaking in tongues. So what, what, what scholars speculate is the Corinthian church had begun to become arrogant and begin to think, man, we're actually more spiritually mature than the apostle Paul. Because we speak in tongues and he doesn't. And so Paul just says, hey, by the way, while we're on this timeout, I speak in tongues way more than any of you fools. He doesn't say fools, but way, way more than any of you guys. I, I, it's incredible to me. Because we love the Apostle Paul, right? Like he wrote a big chunk of the New Testament. He's considered the single greatest missionary next to Jesus himself. And he says, I'm pretty much speaking in tongues all the time. Right? But... Then he goes on and he says in verse 19, but in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words. In a Sunday gathering, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. 10,000, by the way, that's the highest number in Greek. At least it was then. And so this is like Paul saying, I would rather say five words to you that you understand. Jesus Christ is Lord, follow him. 
than a bajillion words that you have no idea what I'm saying. Okay? So clearly, again, right, like Paul is like, look, I, I speak in tongues, but I don't do it in the Sunday gathering. But listen, Paul says, I still speak in tongues, and I wish every one of you would do the same thing. I wish every one of you would do the same thing. Now, full disclosure, do I speak in tongues? No, I do not. And it's not because I haven't tried. I have pursued this gift. I have asked God for this gift, even just this past week, because I wanted to not just be a hearer of the word, but a doer. I want to preach this to myself first. Um, I do not personally speak in tongues, at least I've, not that I'm aware of. I've never spoken in tongues. But that being said, I have several friends that do, and we have probably seven to eight people in our church that I know do. And this past week, I sent them a text message, and I asked them to just, and this was all separate text messaging. It wasn't all one group thread. I was just like, hey, tell me how does uh, speaking in tongues personally edify you? And, and I'll just read three of them back to you. <clears throat> Here's what I got. The first guy said this, when I speak in tongues, I experience an extra measure of strength and intimacy that connects me to the heart of God and helps me to pray for others. That sounds pretty good. Here's what another man said. For me, praying in tongues is like stepping into an awesome worship service where I'm gripped with the reality of God's presence. When I'm praying in tongues, I feel an assurance and confidence that I'm praying effectively for others. They literally just said the exact same thing. Literally. I experience God's presence in a more tangible way, a more powerful way, and I'm able to pray well for others. That's Romans 8, by the way, where Paul says the Spirit will give you groanings beyond words that allows you to intercede and pray for others. Here's one more. This is from a lady in our church. She said this. When I speak in tongues, it's as though it's just me and the Father. I feel like I'm literally sitting at his feet. I'm aware of things around me, but I'm fully engulfed in God's presence. Listen to this. When that happens, it's as if nothing else matters. It's like all the cares of the world just fall away. Now, let me just ask you this. Whether you believe in speaking in tongues or not, is there anybody that's like, eh, I don't really want any of that. I don't want more peace. I don't want to experience more of the empowering presence of God in a tangible way. More intimacy. Eh, it's not really my thing. I don't want to be able to pray effectively for others. Like, I know because you are disciples of Jesus and you're here in the middle of a global pandemic, like, you do want those things. You do want those things. And, and so here's what I would just say. Um, this is why I agree with the Apostle Paul on this. Like, I don't believe that this gift is essential, but I do believe it's beautiful. And therefore, I believe, as Paul says, we should pursue this, guys. And not because, please hear me, not because this is a sign of spiritual maturity. Would you hear that? This is not a sign of spiritual maturity. The Corinthian church spoke in tongues like crazy, and the Corinthian church was crazy. But they were very spiritually immature. Just go read it. So I'm not saying you should pursue this so you can be a spiritually mature Christian. I'm just saying we should pursue this because this is a good gift from God. Like, this is a good gift, and it's a beautiful gift, and it's given by the Spirit as He determines for our good and His glory. And so... With that being said, the question is, okay, how do we do this? On a practical level, what are the nuts and bolts of how we begin to speak in tongues? And from reading books, um, from talking with those who do speak in tongues, I would say there are three things. This is not like a three-step formula that you do this and you'll absolutely speak in tongues. I mean, I'm an example of that, right? But this is how I think we begin to ask for this gift and try to move into it. 
The first thing you have to do is this. If you want to begin to pursue the gift of tongues, you have to create space. Let me say something that might be the one thing you need to hear from this whole series. Some of you don't believe in the, in the supernatural gifting of the Holy Spirit, and it's not because it's not available. It's because you're not available. You're so dadgum busy. The phone is always in front of you. There's always another task to knock out. And I'm telling you right now, you will not get any of these gifts if you are not developing or cultivating an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. This is why silence and solitude is a non-negotiable. We have to begin to just awaken to the wonderful privilege and reality we have that, that the Holy Spirit is inside of us and we can now walk in a relationship with Him. As you begin to do this, the next thing, the next step, is just simply to ask for the gift. To ask God to give you the gift of speaking in tongues. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus says that God is a good Father who loves to give good gifts to those who ask. So just begin to ask for the gift. And the third thing I would say is this. Give it a shot. Like actually begin to speak out in faith what is inside of you. Do you know how Peter stepped out of the boat and walked on water? He did it. He had faith in Jesus. We, we all know that. But he used his muscles and his ligaments. He literally got his leg and threw it over the side of the boat and walked on water. That's the way it is in all the Christian life. Same thing with speaking in tongues. You have to actually open your mouth and move your tongue and let air come out. You can't like lock jaw and be like, all right, God, see so you do it. All right, it's not going to happen. You have to ask for the gift, and then you have to actually begin to speak out what comes to your mind in that moment. And listen, if you get a word from God or you get a phrase, you get even a syllable, just work with that. Work with it. Practice it. Try to grow in it. And if you don't get anything, like you pursue this and nothing happens, listen, don't freak out. Don't beat yourself up. And certainly, I would say, don't give up. I talked to people this past week, and everyone I know who speaks in tongues said they had to diligently pursue that gift. So they didn't just hear a sermon and be like, all right, God, would you give me the gift of tongues? Nope, all right. And then it didn't work for me. I talked to one guy in our church who said that he pursued this gift for 10 months. Before 10 months. Like, that's how you know you want something, by the way. Like, some of us, if we can be honest, like, we don't even want this gift. You pursue it for 10 months, it's pretty obvious you want the gift. It's got pursued it for two minutes. So, so keep fighting off unbelief. Keep fighting off self-doubt. In the words of Jesus, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, keep pursuing. And listen, as you do that, last thing I really want to say, and, and we're almost done. When it comes to pursuing the gift of tongues, or really any gift for that matter, start where you are and not where you think you should be. It's very important. Some of you, when you think of speaking in tongues, you think of the snake-handling, mullet-rocking heretic. Because that's what I used to think of. Others of you, when you think of speaking in tongues, you get all anxious because you've seen trauma and abuse around. You've seen some really crazy stuff. You're like, I don't really want to be associated with that. And if that's where you are, listen, guys, please just take that to God and begin to talk to Him about it. Maybe you're where I was talking about, maybe, maybe you're just like, I don't even want this gift. Guys, Paul said you should want it. Paul says, I wish that all of you had it. So maybe you just start with that and say, God, I, I don't want this, but I want to want it. And I just want to talk to you about that. Maybe some of you in here, you're wired like me, which means you can tend to be more logical than emotional. I don't know if you realize this, but we are swimming in the secular 
post-enlightenment, hyper-rational world where we are often tempted to believe that if I can't explain something logically, then it must not be legit. Like, do y'all realize, like, that's our world? Like, like, that's what we're swimming in. And therefore, when you look at something like tongues, you're like, that's not rational? No, thank you. And if that's where you are, please hear this. This is so important. Remember that the gift of tongues, what is it all about according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 14.1? The gift of tongues is all about love. It's about relationship. And please, if you tuned out, listen to this next part. This is all about love. It's all about relationship. And oftentimes, the level of intimacy in a relationship is measured by how many non-rational things you do together. I'm married. And guess what? My wife and I do more than talk. You know what I mean? Like, use your imagination. Like, actually, don't use your imagination. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, we do some non-rational things together. <laughs> right? I have children. I do more with my children than just have a rational conversation with them. I wrestle with my children. I cuddle my children. I tickle my children. If you were to come up to me after the service and I didn't know you very well and you wanted to hang out, we might go grab lunch, but we're not going to cuddle. <laughs> right? I'm not going to tickle you. And I'm definitely not going to let you tickle me. All right? Well, maybe you, Troy. But others, no, not so much. All right? And that is because, listen, our level of intimacy is not on the same level as like me and my wife or me and my kids. And, and, and I, so I really want you to hear that. Like, please, like, don't misunderstand me. This is not an anti-rational talk. Like, I promise you, like, rational is way easier for me than non-rational. But I want you to hear this before we end, guys. God has more for you than just a book. He has more for you than just a sermon or a podcast or a Bible study. And all of that is great, by the way. I wouldn't, if anything is great, I wouldn't be up here doing this. That's all great. It's not less than that, but it's way more than that. There are things, please, this is for you guys. This is for you. This, I'm talking to you as an individual. I wish I could tell you what I'm about to tell you, like sitting like on a couch, right? Just you and me or whatever. Like, there are things God wants you to experience through the Holy Spirit that words can't express. Like, whether you speak in tongues or not, listen, what I want you to understand is, like, God wants you to have a relationship with him that is rational and non-rational. Because oftentimes, it's in the non-rational spaces we experience the greatest depth of intimacy. And so, to that end, whether you speak in tongues or not, here's what I hope you understand this morning. Like, more than anything, what I hope you see is this is all about love. This is all about relationship. This is all about intimacy with the creator of the universe. God cares so much about you. God cares more than God cares about you doing great things for him. He just wants you to be with him. Because only he will give you the fulfillment, the satisfaction that you're longing for. And guys, this is why we take communion every week. Communion, it can become so formulaic, but it really is a reminder 
that God went through great lengths to have a relationship with you. He gave you his only son. I don't know about you, but I'm not sure I could do that for any of y'all. I don't think, I honestly don't think I would give up one of my kids for a billion of y'all. No offense. And yet God gave up his only son for you. What a sacrifice. Jesus came and lived a perfect sinless life we could never live. He died a death on a cross. We all deserve to die for the forgiveness of our sins. He rose from the dead, according to Romans 8, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he ascended to heaven. And then what did he give us? His very own Holy Spirit. Do you know what that means? That means that now, if you trust in Jesus, not only can you have God beside you, you can have God in you. That means that you can know a level of intimacy with God that's greater than the level of intimacy you have with your own spouse or your own kids. And communion is a reminder of that. As you take the bread today and you eat of that and that goes inside of you, be reminded that's the same place that God goes. As you drink the juice and you're reminded that Jesus shed his blood for the forgiveness of your sins and you, you feel that go down your throat inside of you, you realize that God is just that close to you, closer even. He's a part of every fiber of your being through the Holy Spirit. I know this is a lonely time for a lot of people. It's a time of pain. A lot of you guys have experienced abuse, trauma. Things are not well at home. God has made himself fully available to you through his Holy Spirit. That's what all this is about. And so I just pray that if you're here and you are a disciple, if you've received the Spirit, take communion and be reminded of that reality. If you're here and you're not a disciple of Jesus, if you've not received the Spirit, man, I really want to see you do that right now. I was telling the early service, you know, like this is a difficult season and it would all be worth it if I knew that someone in our church who was religious but lost finally found their way home to Jesus. Like, man, that would be so worth it. And I'm telling you right now, I don't care what you've done. The only thing that would keep you from knowing God in the way we've talked about is your own pride. Like, God has totally made himself open and available to you. And so if you want to know more about having a relationship with this creator who loves you so much, talk with me. I'm here in the front row or talk with someone you came with. Whoever it is, connect with somebody and let's talk about what next steps are. With that said, I'm going to invite the band up. You guys can stay seated for a moment. Um... And as they get ready, I just want to pray a prayer over you. <clears throat> and then we'll partake of communion. And then after you take of uh, communion, just stand as you're ready. And, and we're going to sing a, another song that I really want you to make your prayer. I was, I don't know if I said this in, the first, in this service or not. I know I told them in the first service that, did I talk to you about Ezekiel 37 at the beginning of this service? Did I talk about that, about like an army? Did I say any of that kind of stuff? Okay, I said that in the first service when we were starting. Um, I really believe what God's doing in this season. I was driving to the building this morning and I was thinking about this group, and I know it's things have just been kind of dwindling in this season because of COVID and all this other kind of crazy stuff. And I, I really, uh, God directed me to Ezekiel 37, which is this picture of these dry bones, these dead bones, just there, you know? And all of a sudden, God breathes his spirit on them and they raise up to this, and they become this army for God, this force for God. And I began to think, I don't know why, but I started thinking about SEAL Team 6, you know, that took down Osama bin Laden. And I started thinking, isn't it interesting that whenever we wanted to take down, like, the baddest, most wanted dude on the planet, we didn't call for 600 National Guard or 600 of the Army or the Marines or whatever. We called for six Navy SEALs. 
Because if you want to get something done, an elite force can often accomplish more than even the masses. And I just begin to think, like, I really feel that's what God's doing in this season. As I almost just have this vision of, of like, God is dwindling down his church, and he's going to do far more through a few than what he could have ever done through a lot. And that's going to happen through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I just want us, man, I, I hope this is not just a series for us, or this is just a sermon. I really want us to run after this together and just believe that, honestly, the best is yet to come. So let me pray for us. Let's take communion, and then we'll sing one more song together. Father, I do thank you so much for everyone who is here today and those watching online. Would you please forgive me, forgive us for talking about you as if you're not even in the room. All of our Bible studies, our songs, we're so quick to share our thoughts with others about you. I just think about how offensive that would be to my own spouse, my own kids, my own friends, if I just talked about them, but never just really to you. Would you please give us faith to trust that you are in the room, that you are more present to us than anybody else on this planet right now. Help every person here to believe that you truly don't, you don't just love them, but you like them. You yearn for them. You tell us in Jeremiah 31. You yearn from your heart. yearns. You want to be with each person in here more than we could ever want to be with our own children, our own spouse. And just help us to open up ourselves to this reality. Fill us afresh with your spirit. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus.